Welcome to the Thrive City Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Ben, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to check us out. At Thrive City Church, we want you to experience a thriving life with Jesus. Wherever you are listening from, we hope that you find this message hopeful and encouraging. Hey everybody, it is so good to see you this morning. If you are new around here, my name is Pastor Ben and I have the honor and privilege of being the lead pastor here at Thrive City Church. Over the past several weeks, we have been working our way through a collection of talks entitled Asking for a Friend. Faith can be confusing. And so often we are afraid to ask the difficult questions. And I believe that these times of doubt and questioning can either destroy our faith or draw us closer to God. In the first week of this collection of talks, we learned that we are not disqualified by our doubts. All of us have questions, so don't be afraid to ask. God can actually use our questions and our doubts to deepen our faith in him. In the second week, we talked about the difficult question, how can I learn to forgive myself? And we examined scripture and we learned that when we focus on God's grace and not our past mistakes, God's forgiveness is able to free us for a thriving future as we are able to move past our guilt and our shame that is holding us back. Last week, we talked about prayer and whether or not prayer works. Is prayer worth it? And we arrived at the conclusion that yes, prayer works but not always the way that we want it to or that we expect that it should. We talked about transactional prayer versus transformational prayer. We learned that prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. We we talked about how prayer is where breakthrough begins because prayer actually changes our posture and our perspective. And we talked about how transformational prayer ultimately asks, God, change my soul and not my circumstance. Well, this week, we are going to explore perhaps one of the most common questions. One of the most uh, common questions, one of the greatest hesitations, one of the biggest complaints that people have about faith and Christianity. And that is the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Asked in the the most broad sense, we could say, why does a perfect God allow pain and suffering? And then asked more personally, we could ask, God, where have you been? Where were you? Why would you let this happen in my life? If only you were there, God, you could have changed things. Well, why didn't you? I think it's important to to mention that I am under no illusion this morning that somehow we will solve these age-old questions in the next 30 minutes. That's simply not the case. And and I'm again, I'm under no illusion that we're going to do that. However, my goal this morning is to help you take one next step in your understanding of who God is. 
Today, we are going to break down this difficult question about pain and suffering, and we're going to examine a special story within Scripture to hopefully give us some practical advice for when we face difficult seasons in our own life. Let's pray as we begin together. Heavenly Father, we begin our time together this morning by acknowledging your sovereignty, your supremacy. Jesus, as your word says, by you all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through you and for you. And you are before all things, and in you all things hold together. Jesus, today we seek a greater understanding of who you are, and we ask that you would speak to us through your spirit and through your scripture, that at the end of our time together, we would be a changed people. That when we experienced sorrow and suffering, we would remember your sufficiency. In your name we pray, amen. I remember, I remember quite vividly one of the first times that I really became aware of the problem of suffering. I remember one night riding in the car with my family. I remember riding in the back seat, looking out the window, playing those little games, you know, imagining there's a person running along the side of the road. And I remember riding in the car with my family, coming up to an intersection in the city. And there was a person standing on the corner asking for money. Like children do, I asked what was happening, what was going on, why were they standing there, why were they asking for money? Although they didn't necessarily know the exact circumstance of this specific person, my parents had to try and explain to me what it meant for somebody to be experiencing homelessness or possibly struggling with addiction of some type. I remember really having a hard time struggling with this concept that there were people out there that were suffering or or that had nothing or that were going through a really difficult time. I was uh, what people like to call an extremely empathetic child meaning that I seemed to strongly resonate with the emotions of others around me. To some extent, I still feel this way. And when people are upset or emotional around me, I have a really difficult time not being overwhelmed myself. And uh, apparently this idea of suffering was too much for my little mind to handle. And I broke down. I broke down crying. And, And my mom came up to me and she's like, what, Ben, what is going on? What's the matter with you? And I broke down in tears telling my mom that, that I, I just wanted to give all of my toys away, that I didn't need them anymore. As a child, my heart was broken 
over the pain and the suffering that I saw others experiencing. And I just couldn't make sense of it. And I couldn't handle the thought of having toys to play with while there was others out there with nothing at all. As I grew older, I learned more about God and I learned more about my faith, but I also experienced pain and suffering and loss in my own life. And I had a difficult time reconciling this tension. And I, like many of you, started asking myself, God, why would you allow so much pain and suffering in the world. Why would you let good, why would, why would you let bad things happen to good people? God, why would you let these things happen to me? I thought that you loved me. If only you were there, you could have stopped this. You could have changed this. You could have prevented this. You could have seen me through this. At some point in our lives, I imagine that all of us ask these questions. When, when we look at our lives and we see these different things that are happening, we tend to approach this problem of pain and suffering from a broad perspective. However, for, for many of us, there is a specific instance in our lives that we think of or that comes to mind. So I want to ask you this morning, when was the first time that your eyes were really opened to the reality of suffering? When did you first ask God, why do you let bad things happen to good people? Or more specifically, what is the moment of pain in your life that you have experienced that even now, even this morning, still aches within your soul? Maybe there was a time that you can think of where you just had to turn off the news because you simply couldn't handle another day with news of violence or unrest or, or senseless loss. Perhaps you or a loved one has, has experienced unexpected illness that has forever changed the course of your life. Or maybe you are grieving the loss of a friendship or a relationship that you thought was going to last forever. Or maybe you tragically lost a loved one in an automobile accident or to self-harm or to suicide. Whatever it might be for you, that tension that we feel deep inside, the questioning that burns in our bones is from struggling to understand what seems to be senseless suffering. We ask ourselves, why did this happen? Have I done something wrong? God, did I do something to upset you? God, they did nothing to deserve this. What could possibly be the purpose in all of this? Like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, there is simply no way for each of us to suddenly understand the full complexity of every situation that we have experienced. There are simply some things that we will never understand this side of heaven. And this morning, I'm approaching this issue of pain and of suffering from the Christian perspective that God is sovereign over suffering.
I do not believe that God inflicts pain or suffering upon us or that he wields a pain in our lives as a punishment for sin. I believe that our perfect God created a perfect world with a perfect plan. And I believe that in humanity's rebellion against God that we read about in the book of Genesis, I believe that through our rebellion, sin entered into the world. And the pain and the suffering that you and I experience is a result of that rebellion against God. And although I believe that God is ultimately in control and that he is certainly more powerful than sin and death, I also believe that God works in and through our our suffering to show us our need for a savior. What we are going to do is examine a story in scripture in which Jesus and some of his closest friends wrestle with some of these same questions about pain and suffering. And by doing so, we are able to get a small glimpse into the grand narrative of scripture and God's heart for restoration. So turn with me to John chapter 11. We are going to be looking at the story of Mary and Martha and their brother Eleazar, or as we like to call him, Lazarus. I absolutely love the gospel of John along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The book of John follows the life and the ministry of Jesus. However, the Gospel of John has a slightly different focus, a little bit of a twist, whereas the other three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they really focus on what Jesus said and did. The Gospel of John kind of focuses on who Jesus is. In, in the book of John, towards the end, in chapter 20, in verse 30, the author flat out says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these things in the gospel of John are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The story of Lazarus that we're going to read together begins like many other accounts in the life of Jesus. And it makes sense until about verse 6 where things take an unexpected turn. Let's begin in verse 1, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Let's stop right there for a second. Uh, what John is doing right here in this verse is he's alluding to something that hasn't even happened yet. Uh, within the early church, this story was so well known that John thought that it was important when he mentioned who Mary was. He's, he's saying, yes, this Mary, you already know part of the story. This is the Mary that I'm talking about. The Mary that anointed Jesus with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. It's her brother Lazarus that was ill. Verse three. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. 
It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. Now, what was happening in and around this time, Jesus and his disciples had been traveling the countryside, teaching and performing miracles. And at his last stop, Jesus had made increasingly bold claims about his relationship to God, saying, I and the Father are one. This claim was so inflammatory that Jesus and his disciples had to leave Jerusalem. They had to get out of town. So they journeyed across the Jordan River to where John the baptizer once ministered. In their travels, all of a sudden, a messenger appears with the news that a close friend of Jesus was sick. Notice how they didn't even have to use his name. All the messenger said was, he whom you love is ill. Now, we're not exactly told how Mary and Martha and Jesus originally met or how they became so close. But all we know is that Jesus had a very close relationship with this family. Perhaps he stayed with them on his travels. Uh, Maybe he knew them growing up. But Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And within this statement that the messenger brought to Jesus, he whom you love is ill, is this implied request that Jesus comes quickly so that he may heal Lazarus. Now, this is very similar to other stories that we read about Jesus in the Gospels, uh, about Jesus healing those who are sick, whether it be in person or by touching them or even just speaking words out of his mouth, Jesus was able to heal them. However, when Jesus received this news that Lazarus was ill, he did something unexpected. In verse 4, Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then in verses 5 and 6, it says that Jesus loved them, so he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now that, that seems strange. It doesn't say that Jesus loved him. Jesus loved them, but he stayed two more days. Somehow he was, he was held up. Uh, traffic was really bad. No, it says that Jesus loved them. So he stayed two more days where he was. Uh, all I know is that if I got news that someone that was close to me that I loved was sick or in need, I would do everything in my power to be there as soon as possible. Uh, I'm here right now in the studio recording this by myself. And if I got a message that, that uh, my wife or um, our child was in danger or in need, I, I wouldn't even turn the cameras off. I would just run out the door and I'd be on my way as quick as possible. But no, Jesus intentionally stayed two more days in the place that he was. Somebody needs to hear this morning that sometimes God's setups feel like letdowns. Don't let the process distract you from God's promise. 
Sometimes his setups, the ways in which God is working that we don't fully understand, that we can't grasp the fullness of the picture and the plans and the purposes that he has, those setups can feel like letdowns. So even in our greatest suffering and in our times of need, God is at work in ways that we might not see or understand. Have you ever been left on read by somebody you were talking to, that you were messaging, that you were texting, and you send them a message and you can see that they read it and they received it, but they don't reply back? This is probably how Mary and Martha were feeling in this moment, that they, that they sent a message to Jesus and perhaps that messenger even came back and he said, I, I told him, I gave him the message, but, but he didn't return with me. Mary and Martha must have been confused. Have you ever experienced this in your own life? Have you ever had a time in your life where it just felt like God didn't respond, that, that he left you on red? Mary and Martha must have been so confused as to why Jesus hadn't shown up. But little did they know, Jesus was setting into motion something miraculous. And just because God seems silent, it doesn't mean that he is absent. God is oftentimes at work in ways that we cannot fully understand. Let's continue on in the story. John 11, beginning of verse 7, says this, Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to him, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. We can only imagine how confusing this must have been for the disciples in this moment. Scripture tells us right here that they weren't, they weren't tracking with Jesus. They didn't understand what he was trying to say. And Jesus had to flat out tell them, guys, Lazarus is dead. And this is happening for a reason. The reason why we have waited two days is so that is so that when we get there, something special can happen so that you may believe. So the majority of our time, just like in this situation, I believe that our calling will bring us out of our comfort zone. Following Jesus isn't always easy. 
Like what's happening in this passage is, is Jesus and his disciples had just gotten away from a crowd that was trying to kill them. But in order to accomplish the purpose that Jesus had, they had to go back into that dangerous area. And the disciples were nervous. They're like, Jesus, we were just there and they tried to kill you. But in order to, to pursue the calling that Jesus had, they had to go out of their comfort zone. The disciples had to choose to obey even when they were confused. For Mary and for Martha, even though the timing was confusing for them, and it probably felt that Jesus had forgotten about them, he showed up. Jesus boldly entered into the suffering of Mary and Martha with a plan and a purpose. Verse 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Uh, Again, remember, not long ago, there were many people in Jerusalem who wanted to kill Jesus. Now mix that pent up anger and that aggression with the emotional overload of a funeral and you can almost feel the tension that was in the air as Jesus approached. It's also important to note that there is a significance in the mentioning of how long Lazarus was in the tomb. In the Jewish belief system, the spirit of the deceased hung out for a few days after death. However, after four days, the person was considered dead, dead, uh, beyond the realm of help or restoration or resurrection. In verse 21, as we continue, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. In our desire for understanding this problem of pain and suffering in our own lives, we often focus on what God has or has not done. And we have the same response that Martha has here when we we cry out, Lord, if you had only been here, this wouldn't have happened. Why have you let this bad thing happen to good people? However, Martha didn't end there. And even in a moment of overwhelming grief and loss, Martha expressed this faith in who Jesus is, not just what he has or has not done. So I want to ask you this morning, are you willing 
to put aside your problems to focus on the person of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to place your faith in Jesus and say that you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, even if you don't always understand? Even if it feels like God doesn't come through when you thought that he would, even if you feel like he could have changed things, even if. In this passage, Jesus is not saying, Martha, I can show you the way. I can show you the way to restoration or to resurrection or to life or or Martha, one day your brother will be raised again. No, he's saying, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me. In verse 28, when she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here. And he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, uh, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Here, we see Mary have a a similar response to that of her sister, where she, she cries out, she falls at the feet of Jesus and says, if only you were here. I thought that you loved us, Jesus. I thought that you loved my brother Lazarus. How could you let this happen? However, we see Jesus respond a little bit differently than he did with Martha. Here we see that that Jesus is deeply moved by Mary's sorrow. What a curious thought this is, that although Jesus knew what was going to happen, Jesus knew the end of the story. He knew what was going to happen next. It didn't stop him from being moved. Notice here that Jesus doesn't say, guys, Guys, chill out. It's fine. Things will work out. Remember, I work all things together for good for those who love me. No, Jesus takes time to be present in the midst of their pain. It it breaks his heart. We need to understand that Jesus... Jesus is with us in the pain of disappointment. Jesus is with us in this tension of pain, of suffering and loss. And not only is Jesus in control, he is compassionate. 
he feels our pain and it breaks his heart. Oftentimes when we approach this difficult question of pain and suffering, we just like to say that God is in control. And yes, well, I believe that is true. I, I believe that it is also important to say that while he is in control, he is also compassionate. And while things sometimes don't make sense to us, we can stand firm and confident knowing that God feels our pain, that it breaks his heart, that he weeps with us, that he mourns with us, that he meets us in that pain and that suffering. In verse 38, as we continue, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. In his prayer, in front of the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus again makes it clear that their pain had a purpose. Jesus was able to use the grave of Lazarus for his glory. Jesus showed up in the most unexpected way to do the most impossible thing so that they would finally understand who he was. And sometimes God in our own lives uses seemingly senseless pain and suffering in our lives to help us gain the proper perspective of who he is. Now hear me correctly. I'm not saying that God causes our pain and our suffering. What I am saying is that God is able to redeem our pain and our suffering and to give it a purpose. Many of us, many of us have our own Lazarus in our lives. There is a situation, there is a a time of great suffering and loss in our lives that we have buried deep within our hearts. There is a stone rolled in front of it, hiding it deep inside. And in our pain, we cry out to God for an explanation. Like Mary and Martha, we say, why would you let this happen? If only you had been there. Even now, even right now, this morning, you might be thinking, well, Well, this hasn't really made me feel any better. I still don't know why God would put me through this, why he would let this happen in my life. And I'm sorry that that I can't give you a specific explanation. And the, the reality is that we might never know. But while we demand this explanation from God, God is at work 
using our experiences to expand our understanding of who he is. And even if we don't understand the process, we can know that God has a plan and a purpose for the pain that we experience. We know that God can redeem even the most difficult situations in our lives. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your Lazarus moment? What is the pain in your life that God might be redeeming for a greater purpose? Like Lazarus, I believe that God is able to meet us in our grave, in our greatest moment of pain and suffering. He shows up and he meets us in our mess and he calls us out. And while we might never know exactly why certain things happen, we might never know exactly why bad things happen to good people. We are able to have faith in who is in control. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And not only is he in control, he is compassionate. And although it seems sometimes that God is silent, it doesn't mean that he is absent. And sometimes God's setups feel like letdowns, but we believe that no matter how difficult the circumstance, God can use our graves to bring himself glory. So, Thrive City family, we want to be a church that is not afraid of the grave. What I mean by that, I don't just mean literal death. I mean that we want to be a church that, like Jesus, boldly enters into the lives of those who are hurting and lost and broken. And even in the midst of a broken world that can sometimes feel so senseless with so much pain and suffering, we believe that God is at work mending hearts and restoring lives because he is the resurrection and the life. So why does God let bad things happen to good people? Well, we might never fully know. But what we can learn from this story and what we can learn from the rest of scripture is that we worship a beautiful God who is at work in our broken world and that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us and and our lives and the different experiences that we have. And although it doesn't make sense right now, we can fully place with true confidence, we can place our faith and our trust in him. So it is my prayer for you this week and the weeks moving forward that even in times of of seemingly senseless suffering or grief or or pain or times of doubt and questioning, that, that you will not be afraid to ask the difficult questions. That like Martha, you will be able to cry out even in the times of your greatest pain. And even when you're saying, God, I don't understand, if only you were here, you can still profess faith in him, that you can place your trust in him, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Would you pray with me? 
Jesus, we thank you for being a God that weeps with us, that meets us in our pain and suffering. And we acknowledge that we will never fully understand your plans and your purposes. And sometimes it just feels like it it doesn't make sense. God, help us to trust in you, that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you are sufficient. And Jesus, we ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would make us into the people that you would want us to be. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. We want to empower you to take the next step towards a thriving life with Jesus. If you're looking to get more connected, head over to our website, thrivecity.church connect. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and we would love to connect with you.